the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. week's Outcast. This is the 50th episode of this podcast that presents stories from the life of ACS Athens as they are written by its community each day. Students, alumni, parents, faculty and members of the administration have shared their experiences as they navigate the world of international education through the continuously evolving lens of ACS Athens. We usually talk with members of the community, but today we will make a detour as we host a fellow educator who happened to be in the neighborhood, conducting research away from her own school. Jory Crowder is spending the semester in Greece doing her own work in her area of research, which is social-emotional learning. Her interest in Greek theater prompted her to reach out to ACS Athens for ideas and resources as she is planning to teach Oedipus to her classes for the first time in September. Jory is an English teacher and she's traveled to Greece as a Fulbright scholar. Some of our teachers who have hosted her in their classrooms found her approach fascinating because she applies social-emotional learning to the teaching of literature. With Jory Crowder, today we discuss... The idea of safety and the need of students to feel emotionally and physically safe in order to learn. The effect of COVID in the learning process of children. How can teachers' understanding of social-emotional learning help students overcome the effects of a crisis? The role of teachers as they connect with students, even outside their subject matter. Motivating students by tapping into their emotions and being intentional and explicit when teaching in a socially-emotional way. You come from a school that claims to empower and motivate all students to reach their learning potentials and to realize their personal visions for the future. This sounds very close to the mission of ACS Athens here, where we challenge all students to realize their unique potential. How significant do you think is the statement of Paradise High School in California that your culture is focused on the commitment to be safe, respectful, and responsible? Um, I think it's extremely important, and they have changed those three focuses or focus. That's interesting to hear. Right, right. I don't know if they have it, but just recently, our last, I believe it was last year, we are focused, our entire district did uh, a training with teachers. We talked about it. So it just hit me the idea that you have safety before everything else. So maybe that is something that was... I can speak to safety, yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think safety is very important because... It's not just safety when it comes to feeling that you are not going to be physically harmed, although that's very important, especially with the gun culture and other things that that have come up in our our nation and our schools. But 
it's also a feeling you can't learn unless you feel emotionally safe, unless you feel that you belong and that you can take emotional and intellectual risks in the classroom. You're not going to learn anything. So it is tied to learning. Definitely. Definitely. You came to our school as a visitor educator who's working away from home, but I think for what you're looking for, you found a home away from home. What brought you to Greece? What is it that made you travel thousands of miles from Paradise School, California? I love my school and my students and staff are amazing. And that is what made me leave them, I mm-hmm. believe. We had a fire about four years ago. It was a catastrophic fire in Paradise, California. And the subsequent COVID disaster basically has caused really difficult emotional issues with both students and staff. These have manifested in behavioral issues. They've manifested in academic struggles. And I've been looking for ways, desperately looking for ways to help students and staff cope with these so that we can begin to heal and reach our potential. And in the course of my research, I found a couple of professors that had written papers exactly what I was looking for. Um, One was tied to how students are able to, and it's Maria Poulos out of the University of Patras, how student performance and behavior is affected by teacher social emotional learning and the teacher's understanding of what social emotional learning is. And so I found the Fulbright program, which has amazingly given me the opportunity to come and just talk to teachers, talk to students, and find out what teachers are doing here to be able to support their students in these difficult times. So what did you see? What are the things that impressed you mostly for what teachers are doing here? What's impressed me is one thing that's been coming up again and again in my conversations with teachers and with students is that the connections between teachers and students are some of the most important things when it comes to academics, not only just feeling safe in the classroom and being able to deal with your emotions, but also being able to learn. And again and again, I've I've talked to students that said, that's what we need. We need teachers that will talk to us about things that aren't necessarily their subject matter and that they care about it as, us as people and they care about not just our problems, but our interests. And I have talked to some educators here that have done incredible things to connect with their students. And I'm just gathering tools to bring back with me. How important do you think is the opportunity given to educators and researchers like you to participate in such an interdisciplinary and intercultural exchanges among schools and countries? I mean, yes, we are an American school in Europe, but location makes all the difference for understanding the world, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. It is so important. Um, Just today, I was in a drama class where I was able to speak with the students about, you know, we did an activity, an improv activity, and then we were able to talk about emotions and how they're different for guys and girls and how they're different within the school and without the school. They were able to juxtapose um, regular Greek culture and how it differentiates, how it's very different from what they're able to do in school. And 
what I've seen again and again is that the similarities way outweigh the differences when it comes to my students and the students here in Greece. It's been incredible uh, just what they have in common. So there are many things that connect them in in the way that they see school, they see learning, they see their community. I mean, this is a discussion we've had with other educators who have come also from colleges, because even when you make the transition from high school to college, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to see how best fit is the college that you go to, to what you've seen in your in your student life. I'm pretty sure that that's how students in different countries even in the States where the academic program is very similar to what we do here. I don't know. I mean, you don't have IB in your school, correct? You have AP. We do. We have AP. Um, they do have IB at a nearby school. Sure. But it, it's funny. It's not just the students. I've spoken to students in um, not super academically focused mm-hmm. classes mm-hmm. as well as IB. And they are all feeling incredible pressure. And that's something very similar to my students, the pressure to perform, the amount of work they do at home, the the classes that they take outside their regular school day. Um it, it seems to be it seems to be a theme that's that's arising, and, and we see the difference also when we see the changes the way that colleges accept students nowadays. I mean, there uh, some schools are dropping the SAT tests, uh, some schools are introducing new ways of evaluation. So it's a transition. Is that happening in Greece as well? Well, most of our, if we talk for ACS, most of our kids are going abroad. So Mm. by definition, they're involved in the testing process for foreign universities. Yes, all of the the California state schools have dropped the SAT as well. They've made it optional. Uh, Your academic credentials include NMA in educational leadership, a master's in educational leadership. How did your degree shape your work? What tools did you obtain that are valuable in your capacity as Paradise High School lead teacher and English department chair? That's a great question because when I first decided to get my MA, I was going in with the idea of maybe studying English because that is my subject literature or curriculum development. But when I looked at the classes available because I had the choice between curriculum and leadership, the leadership classes just seemed, I don't know, more interesting, more engaging. And then when I took them, they gave me more tools as a teacher than I ever received in my credentialing program. There's things that I, I learned in my MA program that I wish I had learned in my credentialing program. And now in my capacity as lead teacher, Being able to bridge that gap between administration and teachers is really important. I've noticed just in the work I've done in the last year, teachers have a skewed perception of administration. They don't exactly understand what administration is doing and vice versa. And if they could have that conversation, if they could actually communicate between the two and understand more of what each of their functions, they could work together mm-hmm. to really improve things. And that's that's my goal in my school. I mean, you've met with our principal, David Nelson. Yes. Okay. That's a, a case exactly what you're talking about because he was a teacher for many, many years. Right. And he made the transition to principal. And this is one topic that has been discussed many times. Um, he's also descended from Western United States, but you've also worked with Dr. Siropoulos and Sofia Thanopoulou. I'm curious to know what picked your curiosity after you met them? I mean, what is the nature of your collaboration with them? Well, 
we were introduced by um, Mr. Nelson, and I am an English teacher, and uh, my focus originally was looking at social-emotional learning through literature, as taught through literature. And so he said, wow, these two teachers are collaborating on a project that's very linked to that, that ties into social-emotional learning, and we, we studied Oedipus together. And it's just, it's incredible. I'm looking forward to, I'm going to be going to um, Evan's class later today. And it's incredible how emotions are part of everything. I know that sounds simple and like, duh, right? <laughs> but emotions really, if you tap into them, you can motivate students in a heartbeat. And that's really the key, just to find out where the emotions are in your subject area. Well, you say that you apply social-emotional learning to the teaching of literature. Mm. I mean, what does that mean? Isn't teaching literature socially emotional anyway? Well, that depends on what you mean by that. I believe that you need to be intentional about it. Because obviously, when we read, when we read stories... We see characters. We get to see their emotions from their point of view. We get to experience lives that we never would have had the opportunity to experience. Um, Rudine Sims Bishop, I don't know her precise quote, but she has a quote where she talks about literature as being mirrors and windows. And not just literature, but but they're, they are a mirror to ourselves. We can see ourselves, but also we're able to look through and see other lives and understand other lives. And what I mean by being intentional about it is it's important not just to experience this with students, but and I think you can hook students in better if they understand you're learning a life skill here. You're learning how to empathize with other people. You're learning how to understand emotions when you see them in other people and be able to react to that in a way that is productive. Um, there's so many, there's so much potential when it comes to So that. you're tapping into the effect of the emotion that the literature is providing to enhance their learning. Right. And I'm also helping them understand that that's what we're doing. I think it's really important that's, to make your really teaching ex explicit yeah. because yeah. you can have an intention in the classroom, but unless you, unless the students understand what your intention is, you realize it, it doesn't yeah. always happen. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. We are talking with Jory Crowder, lead teacher and English department chair of Paradise High School, California, who is visiting ACS Athens as a Fulbright Research Scholar. Stay with us as we discuss with Ms. Crowder teaching poetry outside your interpretation. And when students take the lead in learning, every day is an experiment where there's no failure.
Our school prides itself on the way we immerse and engage our international students in the classics, either through the language classes, social sciences, theater, and the arts. Well, this happens through regular classroom activities, but also through extracurricular opportunities, theater plays, trips, media productions. If you had to teach a course, any course that speaks to your passion, to the language of your soul, which grade would you choose and what would be the topic of your class? Mm, what a wonderful question. I would probably teach a poetry class and it would be multiple grades. Students would be able to do it as, um, as a choice. And we would start by digging into uh, lyrics. That's the way I introduce poetry to my classes and dig into the lyrics and talk about and give students. When I, when I teach poetry, I start with two questions. What do you notice and what do you think? And a lot of teachers are afraid of teaching poetry because they think they need to already have an interpretation in mind before they teach it. But that is not the point. The point is, is that you want to empower the students to be able to create their own meaning. And so that is my intention. And my class is mostly discussion based. And we start with those lyrics and then we go to living poets. Um, I have a, a good friend and colleague, Melissa Smith who started the hashtag Teach Living Poets, and it's become a movement because poetry is now, um, history is now. I'm going to be teaching a course on Thursday in the American Spaces online program where we'll be talking about Clint Smith, who is an excellent poet and author and historian and everything else. But I would love to teach a course on just poetry and we could spend an entire year and still not be done. And then we get into the classics. I believe that the canon is not irrelevant. However, who makes the canon? So I think we need to reimagine the canon and there's still some there's still a place for Dickinson and, and um, Thoreau and all, all of the other amazing people. But we need to we need to widen. So if you had teach. if you had a parent who comes to you and say, I want to introduce my middle schooler to poetry, uh, what yes. book would you recommend? And we're talking about an introduction. Hmm, a book or, or a, a, a poet. I would say. It's really important to give them some choice. So I would probably introduce them to um, the Teach Living Poets website because it has a lot of exploratory um, activities. It has some for teachers, but it also has for students. And I'd tell them to just look around until they found someone that that grabs them. I usually I have my students do a, an assignment where they study a bunch of poetry from a living poet but then they write blogs on it and they read other students' blogs from across the country. And it's it's really important that they have someone to discuss it with. It's important that you don't impose anybody on them, that you can expose them to a bunch of different poets and and see what see what snags them. You're doing research. You've been a mentor of AP teachers. You've been a coach, a consultant for nationwide initiatives, and have presented in numerous conferences. You seem to be restless. What keeps you going? Learning. Learning keeps me going. And this experience with Fulbright after 25 years of teaching is a brand new experience for me because I have never done authentic research before. I've done research for classes, for college courses, for my master's. 
but I've never been set free to just ask questions and follow the road that the answers are leading me to. I feel I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to just learn. I, I just want to, I don't ever want to stop learning. And the other thing that drives me is my students. Um, I was just helping one of my students over the internet on a, on a college scholarship essay. And I, I miss them a lot. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back and trying some of the things that I learned. You have a large number of publications on teaching and language and social emotional learning. However, as we are in a podcast booth right now <laughs> in our media studio, I have to ask you to talk about your article in Edutopia called Teaching the Research Process Through Podcasting. In this article, you wrote about the need to motivate students to take ownership of their research process and also the way you have involved them listening to and analyzing podcasts such as This American Life. By the way, Ira Glass was my radio production teacher in college. What? So uh, I haven't missed <laughs> an episode. Um, you conclude by saying, I've learned that when trying new ideas in teaching, the best strategy is to fire and then aim. <laughs> to a community that considers pre-planning and preparation as the default operation, this statement is quite provocative. And intentionally so. I, I can't remember which of my professors talked about that, and it seemed preposterous when I first heard it. But once you get into the, the place where your teaching is guided by students, it becomes easier to try out ideas. And, and when it came to the podcasting, this came from a place of I literally was dreading teaching my research paper because not only was it a miserable process for the students, but then when they turned them in, it was awful to grade, awful. And so I was thinking, what is a way of making this more authentic? Um, I was using mentor texts in many ways to teach other things, like giving students an example of a text and having them analyze it and then use it to create their own product. And so I thought, well, this would give them an authentic audience. It would give them another means of expressing their understanding of whatever the topic is. And so I was like, let's just try it. And I had no experience in podcasting. I had no experience in recording, <laughs> but the kids are amazing. If you introduce them, I introduced them to the Anchor app on, you know, on their phone and they figured it out. And so I didn't have to have everything figured out. Do I think planning is important? Of course, you need to know what your objectives are. But when it comes to actually figuring out how you wanna implement things in the classroom, don't, don't be afraid to try new things. Um, I tell my students every day is an experiment. And if every day is an experiment, there's no failure. And it gives them that spirit of being able to try things without automatically knowing that they're going to accomplish things. Because I think if you if you look at learning in that way, you never really learn anything. Because if you play it safe, you're just doing the same old thing that you already know how to do. Learning is for new things. So maybe the idea is to prepare to be unprepared. There you go. <laughs> And if there's anything these last four years have taught me um, with COVID, with online learning and everything else, it's to keep my knees bent and just be ready to adapt to whatever is happening and try to enjoy it. 
Jory Crowder from Paradise High School in California. Thanks so much for being here and for spending some time with us at ACS Athens. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You are listening to the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to the Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Oh, 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 oh